you know how many times a year that the sun rises on the North and South Poles? Now, the fact that I'm asking the question means it must be unique. Maybe if it, if it rises 365 times everywhere else, maybe 364, maybe 366, would you be surprised to know that it only rises and sets once a year at the poles? You're probably going to have to Google it. I did. It's hard to imagine. But morning isn't a light switch. It's a slow turning towards the light. And at the poles, that turning takes 12 months. So what is the moment that night becomes day? The moment, the specific moment that you know, that you feel, that darkness has become something else. I think it's subtle, not as obvious as we think, but it's an interesting thought experiment. And I'd like to know because I don't want to miss it. I don't want to miss that moment, those moments. Most of us are sleeping through them. But what if I'm not talking about dawn? Instead, if I was talking about justice, when darkness becomes light, I want to believe that dawn is possible and that it's happening, even in the midst of what feels like perpetual night in our world. But as a metaphor, the news can make you feel like you're living in that perpetual darkness, waiting and waiting, hoping to see the sunrise again, to break through. If we could only all just keep our eyes shut and have someone wake us up when morning comes, when there's a brighter day. So the question is important, but the question is complicated. Whether we're speaking of the sunrise or the state of the world. I want to believe that God is at work every day rising like the sun on the darkness of war, oppression and greed and fear. But in weeks like these, oof, it's easy to doubt. So the wisdom teacher stood signaling that he had something to say to his students. What is the moment that darkness becomes light, he asked. One student raised their hand. The teacher nodded, encouraging them to answer. The moment when you can tell the difference between a sheep and a dog, the student said, confident in their answer. The teacher paused, then asked again, what is the moment darkness becomes light? His repetition signaled that the most recent answer was definitely not the one he was looking for. So another student raised their hand, and again the nod that encouraged her to speak. You know the moment darkness becomes light when you can distinguish between a fig and an olive, she said, believing her answer to be both clever and correct. The long silence was confirmation that her answer too was not the one the teacher was looking for. The sage stood up saying to the students, you will know when darkness has turned to light, when you mistake a stranger for a brother. The students had answered focusing on the difference between things, distinguishing separating, segregating, size and shape, form and function. But the answer the wisdom teacher was looking for wasn't about distinguishing between two things. Instead, it was about what brings two things together. It was about connection. Mistaking a stranger for a brother is less concerned about the details of color and shape and more about what actually brings us together. The moment darkness turns to light is the moment we let go of our differences that separate us and embrace the connections between us. What a beautiful world it would be if we'd only mistake strangers for brothers or sisters. What a world it would be if we were more concerned with do they know they're understood and seen and heard instead of do they know they're wrong? What kind of world would it be if instead of telling others to stop, we first stopped to try and understand why they started? When we take someone's voice away, 
they will find other ways to speak, to make their point, that something is wrong. And if we didn't listen before, their desperation isn't going to make us understand either. Instead, we will blame others for their pain that we are sometimes causing. But what time would it be if we chose to stop labeling and categorizing and blaming, if we stopped distinguishing with our words and our attitudes? It would be dawn. It would be the beginning of a new day. Would we then see the sun rise? Jesus was once entering Jericho and was with a crowd that had been following him. Luke's biography of Jesus records a couple of interesting uh, moments back to back at the end of chapter 18. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting at the roadside begging. And when he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. And they told him that Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And so he called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. But those who led the way rebuked him, told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Finally, Jesus stopped. He ordered that the man be brought to him. And when he came, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he replied. And Jesus said to him, Receive your sight, because your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight, and he followed Jesus, praising God. And when all the people saw it, they also praised God. Luke recorded here that Jesus was approaching Jericho, and a man with no voice began to shout to get his attention. You heard me right. How could he shout if he had no voice? Oh, he could speak. Luke records that he was blind, and as such, left to beg by the side of the road. He was voiceless because he didn't matter. He was disabled and labeled and unable to access not only what he wanted, but what he needed. A life of being unseen. Ironic for a man who himself couldn't see. His blindness saving him only from the dirty looks of passers-by. Now Luke continues to record that even Jesus, his own disciples, rebuking him and telling him to be silent. Maybe it's because he's annoying. Desperation often sounds that way to those who aren't desperate themselves. Maybe they're trying to stop this man because they have places to be, places to go, specifically Jericho. And Jesus seems to have a habit of stopping for anything that breathes. But Jesus won't have any of the disciples' shenanigans. It seems that Jesus didn't come to get somewhere. He came to be somewhere. Why don't the others in the crowd hear the voice behind the noise? Hear the injustice of a powerless man. What do they have to lose? A lunch reservation? Jesus stops after hearing him. And then he listens. And they speak to each other. And then the blind man sees what no one else in the crowd could. He sees the face of love and it heals him. We now know that it isn't really the man on the side of the road who was blind, but everybody else, ironically. Listen for injustice and doing something about it heals more than just the one suffering. It's Jesus' math. The newly healed man then gets up and joins the crowd as they continue into Jericho. He becomes part of this new community. And Luke records that everybody saw it and were giving praise to God. Now the the city has heard of Jesus' arrival and they've gathered to check it out. And Luke writes that not everyone could get close enough to satisfy their curiosity. And at least one individual is forced to run up ahead and still has to climb a tree just to have access to glimpse this Jesus. His name is Zacchaeus, and he's described as a short man. But I don't know if it was his height that limited his access. As much as it may have been his stigma, Zacchaeus was a tax collector. 
In fact, he was the chief tax collector. He was stigmatized as a traitor by most Jewish people. He was a sellout. Most likely all of Zacchaeus's friends were the type of people that are forced to climb trees, not because they're arborists. And while they can easily be ignored, both on the ground and in the trees, by those who misunderstand why somebody would be so desperate to lose so much to gain so little, desperation forces many to do what we wouldn't do if we didn't have to. Reasons are not only monetary. And once again, Jesus hears. This time Jesus hears with his eyes. Luke records that Jesus, upon reaching the place where Zacchaeus was, hiding up in the tree, Jesus looks up and sees this man that everyone else chose not to, even when he was on the ground. And Jesus sees him. And once again, my theory is correct. Jesus didn't come to get somewhere. He came to be somewhere. He looks up and he says, he sees him first and really sees him, sees his needs, sees his desires, sees his hopes. And Zacchaeus also sees and believes. It's the crowd that can't believe what they see. Luke records they grumble. The crowds are still grumbling at who God chooses to eat with to this day. And Christians still grumble who Jesus chooses to see. For those who have an agenda, after all, to make this a Christian nation, Jesus seems to be sabotaging their efforts. Because he didn't come to pick teams. He didn't even come to print jerseys. He's on team human. Team creation. For God so loved the world, he came. But the question I have is, how is it that Jesus heard the blind man? How is it that Jesus saw the desperate tree climber when apparently no one else did? It's simple, really, because Jesus was listening and looking. That's why he came. He didn't actually come to die. He came to live. He came to bring life and light to the world. Jesus moved gently through the world, so he saw what others didn't. So many have missed so much on their way chasing success. The writer of John's Gospel in chapter 1 verse 9 says of Jesus that he came as the light to give light to all of us. The light of God casts out the shadows of our own vision so that we see a better picture of not just what is happening, but of what else is happening beyond just the obvious. The obvious is only our perception and our assumptions. The miracle we should be praying for is that our hearts change, our opinions change, our perceptions change. The real miracle is that the voiceless can speak, that the blind are finally seen and can see. That is how we know that darkness is turning today. Don't look for passports or flags. Listen past the rhetoric to hear what others are really saying. Those are broken hearts, sons and daughters exhausted by injustice, causing them to hurt just to be heard. Look for the broken hearts behind the desperate actions and search for your possible role in the destruction that others are causing. Truthfully, the most dangerous people might not be the ones impassioned with the cause, willing to risk in order to be heard. No, the dangerous ones are, the, are those likely who, are, who keep telling the voiceless to shut up. The dangerous ones are those with power at the front of every line, chasing others up trees, who are just trying to get a glimpse over everybody else's privilege. Of course, there are some who just want to watch the world burn. It's true. But the crowd with Jesus has them as well. We read it in the story. We see it in the news. They're inciting disparity and, and missing the whole point of justice. They throw fire with their hate disguised as zeal for God. Let's not be fooled. I don't know how he does it, but Jesus loves them all, even the ones that I don't. 
And I know that some things are complicated, but not everything has to be. It's easy to become numb, saying in our heads that you don't know what to do, but we do know what to do. Seek to understand others' views, others' perspectives without judgment. Look at our own life and recognize how our privilege affords what others possibly can't get. And if that makes you feel guilty, let it motivate you to generosity. That's how we make change. Our opinion isn't going to save the world. Our understanding will go so much farther. Every time you see injustice, don't look away. And if you don't see injustice, look harder. We're supposed to look. We are tasked to be peace creators. Let's begin to respond to what we see and hear, even beginning in little ways, allowing our hearts to be moved by what we see, then letting our feet go to where our heart is headed. Like Jesus, his feet led him to where his heart would go. And then when you get there, stop. Lend your voice to those who cannot speak. And to those who are not being heard, ask, seek, knock, and be surprised at who you find behind those doors and what tables you find Jesus eating at. Yes, we need the bright hope of a new day. We need the sun to rise. And he will. And we will know it. Not because people will agree with what we think is right and wrong, but because we will mistake everyone for a brother or sister, a child of God. Martin Luther King Jr. once said that we've learned to fly in the air like birds, and we've learned to swim in the seas like fish, and yet we haven't learned to walk the earth as brothers and sisters. Let's let these encounters of Jesus inspire us. Whether you are in the ditch calling out or leading the way, let's walk the familiar streets of our lives but listening with new ears and look into the trees of desperation because if we're looking for Jesus, I think that's where he'll be. So wake up and look, for the sun is rising. And trust me, you don't want to miss this. (laughs) 